let's go ahead and get ready for our sermon today. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, we want to see people the way you see them. We want to act the way that you act. And I know that that's part of our sanctification, part of becoming more like you. As, as we progress in our Christian life, Lord, we want to be less like our old selves and we want to be renewed and made uh, into a brand new person, keeping our old personality but becoming more like Jesus in the way that we talk, in the way that we treat other people, in the way that we act each day. Lord, even in our inner motivations and our attitude, Lord, help us to have the same attitude that you have. Lord, so as we look at this story today, we want to see how you treated other people and how different that is from the other people in society and the way they were treated. Lord, help us to become more like you and less like our old selves. So Lord, uh, with all the distractions that are out there and the panic and the fear, Lord, help us to tune in to what you want us to know and to learn and to do today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. As I said, we're in our series called Servant King. This is actually message number five in our series. That, that strange combination, uh, some people would call it a paradox, where Jesus is both king and servant at the same time. A king that can heal people of all their diseases. He can raise the dead, as the story we just read this morning. Jesus can take a furious storm, and he can raise his hand and say, Peace be still. And even nature obeys the words of Jesus. So he is a great king of kings, and yet he is a servant. He washed his disciples' feet. He received a leper. You remember the, the lepers that would come to Jesus? The, the one in Matthew 8 is the one I'm thinking of, where the leper comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you're willing, please make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched that leper. And I know that he did it on purpose. Because for any Jewish rabbi, it would immediately make him unclean to touch a sick person like that. But instead of thinking about how the unclean person might make Jesus unclean, Jesus said, I am going to bring my cleanness, if you will, his holiness, his kingdom of God wholeness into the life of that leopard. And he said, I am willing. And he reached out and touched that leper and he made him well. And Jesus didn't get leprosy from it because Jesus is the Son of God. And I'd hope that we'd follow that example of saying instead of worrying about how, how certain people are going to pollute us or sully us or you know, mess up our lives, that we could say, no, let's bring the presence of Jesus to their life and their life is going to be different because of being around us who follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. So they're servant king. So let's look at Luke chapter 5. You should be able to see it on the screen behind you. Uh, it's in your Bibles in the Gospel of Luke, uh, the fifth chapter. This is, uh, this is right after what we talked about last week. You remember Jesus is walking on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and a great crowd gathers around him and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And the crowd is so big, they can't all hear him when he's speaking. So he gets this great idea. He knows that sound carries better over water. So Jesus says, hey, Peter, let me get in your boat and I'll speak to the crowd. And Peter lets Jesus into his boat and he's, he's out there a number of feet and he's able to teach and the sound is carrying and everybody's able to hear the good news about the kingdom of God. And then he tells Peter, hey, Peter, as long as we're in your boat, <laughs> let's go fishing. 
And Peter's like, oh, I fished all night. We caught nothing, Jesus. And by the way, I'm the professional fisherman. You're the professional rabbi. You stick to what you do well, and I'll do what I do well. But Peter didn't have that attitude because he respected Jesus, and he knew that he was a, a, a somebody that God was with. And so he knew he didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but he decided to be obedient without knowing what was ahead. He didn't have to see in order to believe. He just took Jesus at his word. And so he goes out and he casts his net out there, and there's a miraculous catch of fish, something like they had never seen before in their, all their days of fishing. And Peter looks over at Jesus as the fish are coming in the boat, and Jesus has got this look on his face, and all of a sudden Peter says, Wow. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a respected rabbi. He's not, he's not even a prophet. He's, he's like the son of God. He's Messiah. And Peter, in realizing that, he was aware of his own, you know, it's like in God's presence, he was aware of how unworthy he was to be in Jesus' presence. So he said, Lord, depart from me. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man, like most people do. And yet Jesus, instead of turning away from him and saying, you know what, Peter, you're right. You've lived a not-so-great life, and you don't deserve to be around me. Jesus came back to Peter, and he forgave him, and he says, come on, Peter, from now on. We caught a, caught a great catch of fish. This is pretty exciting. But do you realize, Peter, how exciting it's going to be when we bring in a boatload of people? And do you think if Peter was excited on that day in the boat, do you think how excited Peter was on the day of Pentecost? When 3,000 Jewish people on the day of Pentecost came to faith in Jesus Christ and they all got baptized in one day, and Peter goes from leading 120 followers of Jesus to now he's pastor of a mega church, you know, that's pretty cool. Peter experienced that. So that was last week's story. So, you know, Peter uh, is called by Jesus to follow him. His brother Andrew was as well. So were James and John. And now the band of four, at least are walking with Jesus through the town of Capernaum, and they come to a, quote, not-so-chance uh, meeting or a, a not-such-a-chance encounter to meet another person that Jesus is going to ask to follow him. His name is Matthew. Here's point number one. What may seem like a chance encounter to us, Jesus sees as a golden opportunity. You're right? You remember that in... Um, Matthew, or I'm sorry, in Luke's gospel, chapter 5 and verse 27, it says, Later, as Jesus left town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth, right? So Mark and Luke both call Matthew Levi, and yet Matthew calls himself Matthew. You know, Matthew, by the way, is the same author of the gospel of Matthew. This is the Matthew that we're talking about. So he wasn't always, you know, a great writer of religious books, Matthew before had a career as a tax collector. And as a tax collector, Matthew was not a very popular person in the town of Capernaum. It's not like everybody went up to him, whether with the elbow or with a handshake or whatever they did to greet one another and said, hey, Matthew, good to see you. I imagine that most people in that town saw Matthew coming and they either got out of the way, they turned around, or they gave him a dirty look. Why? Because Matthew's job was a tax collector. He was a Jewish man who was working for the Roman government. And the Roman government had been occupying Israel for like 80 years now. And they were collecting confiscatory taxes, way worse taxes than you and I pay today. 
And because the, the Romans were collecting these taxes, they made deals with the Jewish people. And they say, you'll collect the taxes for us. And by the way, if you happen to collect more taxes than we're requiring you to collect, you get to keep the difference. And so it was a great opportunity for opportunistic, even, quote, greedy people who were Jews <coughs> to look past their own loyalty to their, own, to their Jewish nation and say, I'm going to get rich being a tax collector, or I'm going to make some money doing this. And so that's what Matthew's job was. He worked for the Romans. The Jews hated tax collectors. They hated them for at least three reasons. First of all, Jewish tax collectors had a reputation for cheating. Remember Zacchaeus in Luke 19? He was the, the most unpopular man in town. He was a chief tax collector. They were known for overcharging the people and keeping the profits, right? That was number one. Number two, tax collectors were supporting the Romans. And any good Jew hated the Romans, and they wanted out, them out of their country. So, so he's got strike number two for supporting the Romans. And then strike number three, a Jewish tax collector who was at a tax booth in Capernaum was on this Roman road that was frequently traveled by Jews and Gentiles all the way from Damascus, Syria, down there southwest to the Mediterranean Sea. And so everybody who came by, Matthew said, hello, nice to see you again. That'll be two shekels, please, or whatever, whatever he had to charge the person as a tax. And so a tax collector like that, being a Jewish man, would come into constant contact with the Gentiles. And if you know anything about first century Judaism, you know that's one of the worst things for a good Jew was to be in contact with the Gentile, right? This morning, it, it was confirmed to me, I'm, I'm driving into an empty Sebastopol. In fact, the only thing I saw where there was any activity at all was Safeway Market, right? <laughs> that was still full. But the rest of the town was empty and quiet, worse than any Sunday morning in the past. And I'm thinking, great, I don't even know if anybody's going to come to church today. So thank God that you guys are here. Um, but I pass, I, I pass by Safeway, and I'm getting out, and I'm listening to this uh, program on 1100 AM, and Pastor Sheedy's talking about the trial of Jesus, where after Jesus was, uh, was condemned by the Jewish court, the, the Sanhedrin, they take him before Pilate. They bring Jewish into the praetorium to be judged by the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. But guess what? The Jewish leaders don't even go inside the door. They won't even go inside the Roman praetorium. Why? Oh, well, because the Passover is coming. And I would defile myself if I was going into this Gentile environment, right? So they're going to kill in an unjust way the very Son of God, Messiah, but, they have no, but they've got a big problem over ritually defiling themselves by going into the Roman praetorium. That's the hypocrisy of the Jewish people of the day. So they're condemning Matthew because he's, he has contact with Gentiles, right? So I said point number one, that, that idea that when you have a, and maybe you've had this in your life, maybe you've had a chance encounter with somebody that all of a sudden, after the fact, you realize, you know what, that wasn't just a random chance meeting with that person. That was a God-ordained intersection. That was a God appointment because I needed to hear that from that person or I needed to say what I needed to say to that person and they needed to be around me so they could hear that. Sometimes you only know that after the fact. Certainly for Matthew, I'm sure he'd seen Jesus around town. Jesus has been preaching. He'd been doing miracles. He attracted big crowds. 
I'm sure Matthew was curious about him. Maybe, perhaps, on Matthew's off hours, not collecting in the booth, he had a chance to go see Jesus teach in action. And Matthew was curious, and he wanted to know Jesus better. And maybe Jesus sensed something in Matthew in that moment, sitting there in the tax collector's booth. So Jesus is walking by, sees Matthew in the tax collector's booth. Jesus sees this golden opportunity, and he calls Matthew into full-time ministry, right? From a tax collector for the enemy Romans to a full-time ministry with, with Messiah Jesus. I mean, that is quite a turnaround, right? So Jesus says in verse 27 and 28, he says, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. Now, I think if I, if I understand the original language uh, uh, to any degree, Jesus is giving him a command. But you realize when Jesus gives a command like that, it's, it's, it's an invitation as much as it's a command. He says, follow me and be my disciple. You also remember in, Re in Revelation 3 when that famous verse where, in fact, somebody created a painting like that. I tried to imitate that one time. We were in a, a drive through Christmas experience in Sacramento, and I got to be Jesus that year. So I'm wearing this robe, this white robe and the yellow, and I couldn't really grow a beard like you, Luke, so I had to put on a fake beard. Uh, but I was still out there, and fortunately, on the door, they had a handle because you're supposed to be all frozen. You're supposed to be like... You know, and the drivers drive by and the people make faces at you and they're trying to get you to break your, your statuesque stance. And, and I tried to do my best not to, but every once in a while I do one of those like, you know, I give them a win. They go, you moved, you moved, <laughs> kind of thing. So it was kind of fun, but I'm there and, and it always reminds me because I was the last of the, of the scenes that through the drive-through experience. And it was Jesus in Revelation 3, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You remember that verse? He says, If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, right? Well, that's an invitation. Jesus is giving Matthew an invitation. It sounds like a command, but it's ultimately up to Matthew to how he responds, right? He doesn't have to say yes. He doesn't have to get up from his tax collector's table. It's not like fire's going to fall from heaven if he doesn't. But Matthew is drawn to Jesus. And Matthew says, fine, if, if I've got an opportunity to leave this life that I really didn't like anyway, and Jesus is inviting me into full-time ministry with him to follow him day and night as he's going to be my rabbi, then I'm going to do it. So Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed Jesus, right? Now, what was Matthew giving up when he made that decision right there, right? Something curious and admirable was in, in Matthew. He lost no time getting up from his tax collector's table. When he left everything, I think what one of the things that's being implied is Matthew left a lucrative career to follow Jesus. Following Jesus, there was no guaranteed income there. There was no guaranteed livelihood there. It was a walk of faith. Jesus was an itinerant rabbi preacher. He didn't have a fixed income, right? So Matthew was leaving something that was secure for something less secure. He was, he was leaving something that was like stable and I know where my paycheck's coming and I know that I'm going to have an income here and yeah, the people hate me, but so what, to wow, I've got an opportunity to follow Jesus. So Matthew gave all that up and followed Jesus. Unlike the four fishermen, you know, remember what happened after the resurrection? Peter says, I'm going fishing. 
So they go back up to Galilee and they start fishing again. And that's where they meet Jesus again on the shore of the, of the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 21, right? So the fishermen could go back to their job. Matthew, when he made the break with tax collecting, I don't think Matthew could have just gone back to his job. And you know, everybody, you had to do it, I had to do it. When you make the decision to follow Jesus and be his disciple, you're going to have to give up something. Maybe you're giving up a lucrative career like Matthew. Maybe you have to give up some old friends who don't like your decision, or maybe they're walking in such a way that you can't be around them anymore because you don't want to live that way anymore. So you have to maybe distance yourself from your old friends. Maybe you're working at some kind of job or career right now, and that job is a little bit shady, maybe even borderline illegal. And when you follow Jesus, you, you realize, you say, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I, I have to give that up in order to follow Jesus. Everybody is going to have to give up something when Jesus calls you out and says, follow me. Are you ready to do what Matthew just did? Are you ready to give up anything that he calls you to give up in order to follow him? So now Matthew identifies himself as a Jesus follower, right? And Matthew is so happy and he's so overjoyed. He wants to celebrate. And what happens when something big happens in your life, some breakthrough, job promotion, you know, you find out that it, there's no illness at all or whatever, or you find out something awesome happened to you, you won the lotto, what do you want to do? You want to celebrate. You want to throw a party. So Matthew has a party, right? So it says later... Levi, or Matthew, same guy, had held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And many of Matthew's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. You know, I think about that and I say, well, that totally makes sense because who would Matthew's friends have been? They would have been his old guy. They would have been fellow tax collectors. Why? Because the, Jew, the good Jewish people of town, they wouldn't have had anything to do with Matthew. Matthew could have said to them, I'm throwing a party, you want to come? And they would have said, get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. You're, you're a traitor to the Romans. You're defiled. You, you hang around Gentiles all day long. I don't want anything to do with you. You're scum. Get away from me, Matthew. So Matthew undoubtedly felt the rejection of his own people. So who was Matthew hanging around with? Well, if if uh, birds of a feather flock together, right? So the fellow tax collectors hung around each other, people that were marginalized from society, people that good Jewish people wouldn't hang around. Maybe they were prostitutes. Maybe they were other kinds of people in society. But Matthew was friends with the edge people of society, not with the good upstanding folks in society. And so Matthew invites all of those people to the party and he makes Jesus the guest of honor at the party. Now, anybody who's been in evangelism, you know what Matthew's doing. I love my friends. My friends don't know Jesus. What can I do to bring my friends and Jesus together, right? You've done it. You've invited them to church. You've invited them to a Christian concert. You've invited them to a life group at your house. You've invited them to coffee, and you said, you know, there's something I really want to share with you about what God is doing in my life. And maybe you've shared your story with them about where you used to be before you became a follower of Christ and where you were in your life to say, now, Jesus, I know I, I don't want to live my life without you anymore and what the process was when you became a follower of Jesus and how your life has been way different and hopefully way better since you decided to follow Jesus. 
and you get an opportunity to share like that. You don't think Matthew wanted his friends? If anybody has love at all for another human being and you come to know Jesus and you know that he's the way and the truth and the life, nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. You want your friends and family to know. I remember I went, to, I went back to Chile in the year 2001. I hadn't been there for a number of years. I got to go back on a mission trip with our church, and, I, re- and I, I specifically knocked on the door early on Sunday morning. I had to wake up my old friends, and they were sleeping in. Obviously not going to church that day. And uh, my friends were sleeping in, and they were Catholic background, and we had shared the gospel when we were there with them, and they were kind of like, hey, yeah, the, thank you. I'm not really sure what I want to do with this, but I know it's important to you. Thanks for sharing. Uh, but they, they didn't make any decision. And I went back to their house years later and I knocked on the door. I felt compelled. I said, Lord, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to this place again in my lifetime. And by the way, I haven't. Now some, I don't know how many years later, almost 20 years later, and I still haven't been back. So I haven't been back, but I remember saying, Lord, if I do one thing in this country on this trip, I've got to go back to Jose and Laura's house and I got to talk to them about my faith in Jesus. And they were gracious enough because we were friends. You know, your friends will put up with more than what they would from a stranger, right? Because they know you, and we loved each other, and they were really glad to see me. And I sat them down, and we were having coffee, and I said, I just want you to, to know that I haven't changed anything of what I believe from what I told you years ago. In fact, I believe it more more committedly now than I did even then. And I, and I remember saying to them, I say, I know that when I die because of my faith in Jesus, I'm going to be in heaven with him forever in his family, and it's going to be awesome. And he says, and I think of that day, and I think about all the people that I love and care about and how desperately I want all of them to be there with me in in heaven with God forever and eternity to joy, enjoy the family of God forever. I said, that's going to be an awesome opportunity. I said, but when I think of that day, I don't want to be there without you. And they, uh, I wish I could say they dropped to their knees and they converted right there. They didn't, but I, I, I felt compelled to share with them because I love them and they were my friends. And I can imagine Matthew. Matthew was, felt the same way. My friends are lost. They're far from God. But you know what? Here's Jesus. And he's invited me to be his follower. So I'm going to throw a party and I'm going to have all my friends come. And I want them to be able to meet Jesus. Because if they meet Jesus, I think they're going to love him the way that I love him. That's Matthew's party. Now you think, oh, this is awesome. What a great story. What do you think the next verse is going to be? Oh, it's going to be that, and many of them came to believe in Jesus too, right? You'd think that would be the story. No, the story takes another twist because you remember those people that hated Matthew because he was a tax collector? Remember the people that were rejecting him because he didn't fit their criteria of an acceptable, good Jewish person? They were the religious teachers. They were the Pharisees. And instead of rejoicing, that people are coming to faith, coming into the kingdom of God. Of course, they got to go the other way. So it says here in verse 30, but the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law, they complain bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Bitterly. You realize the language there. They weren't just like saying, Jesus, what are you doing? You know, no, they're, they are condemning slash criticizing Jesus for this behavior. 
Jesus, if you want to be a respected rabbi, you cannot be acting this way. You cannot be hanging around those, pe- those people. So they're complain- complaining to Jesus. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Now, it's pretty sad. Matthew loved his friends. He wanted his friends to meet Jesus. What could be better for his friends than to know Jesus? That was point number two. But here's the, here's, here is a completely different worldview. Instead of going Jesus' way, these people went the opposite way. And they went the opposite way because they had a different way of looking at the world than Jesus. Here's the worldview of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Right? Their lives, they, they dedicated their lives. You, you got to give them credit for being committed to God, right? They wanted to live every moment of every day in obedience to God and His rules and His law, right? So they wanted to live pure and clean obedience. A lot of those religious laws had to do with being ritually clean or unclean. So they wanted to stay pure. These guys wanted to stay pure and clean before God. They didn't want to be, quote, defiled. And they want to, in fact, the, this is what the Pharisees did. They said, you know all the rules that they have in the temple in Jerusalem for the priests? The priests have to wash themselves a certain way. They have to cleanse themselves. They have to, they have to not be in any kind of defilement. They can't touch a dead body. They can't, they can't do any of these things if they're going to be acceptable to go serve as priests in the temple. Well, as high as that bar is for the priests in the temple, the Pharisee says, we want to live that way too because we want to live that way we want to live so ritually clean before God that he's just going to send his Messiah and come and kick out the Romans. It's going to be awesome, right? So in a way, they had high ideals and high goals, but how it got twisted over the years, right? Because what happened was they added their rules to be pure, rules that said that if you even come into contact with somebody that you think God considers to be unclean, then just because you had a little contact with them, they make you unclean. They make you ritually defiled before God. So the best thing to do is just stay away from, quote, those people. Don't let those people pollute you, you good Jewish leaders. So the Pharisee said, your goal in life is to be ritually clean before God, and your goal is to stay away from scum like that. So then they they look at Jesus and they said, he's hanging out with those people. He's eating and drinking with them. He knows what the rules are. He's breaking the rules. Jesus, you can't be from God if you're going to act that way. So religious people who are not, religious people like like these Pharisees and teachers of the law, they are not likely to understand your outreach to people who are far from God. They're not going to understand. They're not going to see your motive They're not going to agree with you. They're not going to join you. They're actually going to criticize you. They're going to say, you need to stay away from those people. If you try to follow Jesus and imitate, look what Jesus just did right here, right? A Matthew party with a bunch of, quote, unclean people, uh, ritually. If you try to follow Jesus and imitate his way of life, you'll find yourself relating to and talking with people who might be looked down upon by a lot of, quote, upstanding people in our society, right? Even church people might be irritated if you befriend them. And and even worse yet, if not just your friends, if you bring them to church with you, are you kidding me? 
Do you know what they look like? Do you know what they smell like? Do you know what that, how their values are so different from ours? How are they possibly going to assimilate into our church body? This isn't going to work. I can't believe you're doing that. I will confess that it took me a little while to get accustomed to the idea that when I first came to this church and I came in there uh, that first Monday morning and I see the Barnabas ministry working and there's all these homeless people right here in, quote, our church, people that don't look like me, they don't dress like me, they don't smell like me, they don't talk like me, and I'm thinking, we're, do we're doing this ministry twice a week. I heard, I heard it was even greater than that before I came here. So this ministry's twice a week with these people. They're coming to the door for lunches. And we're supposed to, we're supposed to befriend them and, and get, not just feed them and clothe them and give them a shower. We're supposed to be nice to them. We're supposed to invite them to church. What if they say yes? <laughs> What's that going to be like? And I, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm not sure how our church is going to work or grow or be healthy if, if these people start to come to our church. How are the rest of our church people going to react to that? How are they going to respond? Will some people maybe even stop going to church because these people are starting to go to our church? And I, I remember processing that and thinking about that. And finally, you know what got me over it? What got me over it was we had one of those nomadic shelter nights and I get invited and they say, okay, hey, Jim, your pastor, come, come pray for the meal or something. And then we want you guys to sit down. We want you to, to talk with these people. We want you to, uh, they're, they're homeless people and they're getting shelter at our church for a night. And we want you to sit down and, and, you know, try to have a conversation with them, which by the way, sometimes is not an easy thing to do because they're not, some, they, some times they are not easy to talk to. But the idea is you're reaching out to them. And in reaching out to them, I remember having a few conversations and I realized like, wow, you're a human being just like I am. You have some of the same values I do. Some of you people are followers of Jesus, just like I am. Some of you people lived a, a, what I would call a fairly normal life before somehow the wheels fell off somewhere in their past. And now they're out where in, a, in a place where they're at. And... All of a sudden, the love and the compassion and the understanding just starts pouring out because I, because I wasn't distancing myself from people like that. Jesus went toward people like that. He didn't stay away from people like that. He didn't look at them and say, you're going to make me unclean if I'm around you. No, he says, no, I'm actually, I've got the Holy Spirit in me. I've got the love of God in me. I've got Jesus in me. I'm going to bring that to you, and maybe some of what Jesus is in me will rub off on you. That's the way to look at it. That's the way Jesus looked at it. That's not the way these religious leaders looked at it. So how does Jesus reply to them? If it were James and John, the sons of thunder, I could just see Jesus going, fire from heaven, come down and consume these people right now. But Jesus, in his love and his grace and his understanding, and his, his recognition that, you know what, I may not be able to change their minds, but I'm going to try to get them at least to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. So instead of confronting them directly and saying, what is the matter with you people? He gives them sort of a parable and he gives them a story, he gives them a metaphor, right? And, he, and Jesus answered them and he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, 
but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Thank you, New Living Translation, because that just explained what Jesus said. What happens in a lot of versions you read is Jesus said, I haven't, called, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you're left sort of saying, okay, Jesus is saying there's healthy people and there's sick people. And he's come to call one, but not the other. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, who, who are the, quote, healthy people in this story? Are the healthy people the good people? Because, you know, I'm thinking, hey, in a day like Corona, in the coronavirus scare, and the, I mean, the best thing we can do is wash our hands and don't get uh, contact with our face and, you know, take your vitamins, get your vitamin C, drink your liquids, do everything you can to be healthy and boost your immunity. That's how you're healthy. So healthy's good, right? But Jesus says healthy people are the ones who don't need a doctor or who don't think they need a doctor. So in this story, the healthy people are not the good people. The healthy people are actually the religious teachers and the Pharisees because they're walking around saying, you know, God, I think you're kind of lucky to have me on your side because look at the laws that I keep and look how righteous a life I live. Look at the fasting and the, and the prayers and the giving and the tithing that I do. Look at, all those, look at all those almsgiving that I do. Look at all those times when I deny myself for the kingdom of God. You know, you remember that story Jesus told of the, of the Pharisee and the tax collector? You know, both of them are praying to God. Which one of them gets heard by God? And the Pharisee says, he, he, Jesus even says he prayed to himself. He wasn't even really praying to God. He's just sort of going... God, I thank you that I'm a, such a great person. I tithe and I fast twice a week and I stay ritually clean and I do all the things to follow your law. In fact, I'm such a good person. I, in fact, I'm so not like that dirty, rotten person over there. And he points over to the tax collector. And the, and the tax collector, he's not even looking up to heaven, which is the way that the Jews prayed in the first century, you know. That, this was the posture of prayer. They had their eyes open and they were addressing God up in heaven. And the, the, the tax collector wasn't even looking up to God. He was like down here going, God, please be merciful to me. Pour out your mercy on me. I don't deserve it. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I don't deserve your grace and your forgiveness, but Lord, please be merciful to me. And Jesus says, here's one guy praying, this self-righteous Pharisee, and here's this tax collector over here praying. Which one of the two do you think God, heard? God hears? He says, the guy over here. Here's the healthy person. Here's the sick person who knows they're a sinner, knows they need a Savior, knows they could never please God on their own, know they need to pour out their life on the mercy seat of Jesus, know they need to go to the foot of the cross and say, God, please help me because I, I need your help. I'm not right. I need your forgiveness. And that's who God comes to. So... Jesus says the healthy people, they've got bad spiritual understanding. They're blind spiritually. These guys actually have their eyes open spiritually, the ones who are sick. And Jesus says, I've come to call the sick. Because the church, like the church today, you've probably heard this, this cliche. The church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, right? Not a museum for the saints, right? The people that are here are the ones that know that they need God and they need Jesus and they're not right with God on their own. So here's point number four. Jesus looked at people way differently than the, Jew, than the Jewish leaders did in his day. And here's the point. So should we. 
When I read that story about Jesus, I say, God, make me more like Jesus and less like these religious leaders. I know I'm religious. I know I'm even considered a religious leader, but I don't want to be like them because they totally got in Jesus' way. They totally were blocking the kingdom of God, trying to find their own righteous path to, to get to God and be right with God. God, Jesus, I want to go your way. I want to I be in a relationship with you where I see people the way that you see them. And so there's point number five. Let's just jump to point number five now where it says following Jesus. By the way, this is not on your bulletin. Some of you guys are looking down like, um, I think I've got the fever or something because I can't even see number five here. No, that's, it's just a joke. I'm, please, I'm not trying to be flippant. But here's point number five. I made it up yesterday after the bulletin was printed. Here's point number five. Following Jesus, right? Like he, so, like he said to Peter, hey, Peter, you follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to catch men and women live for God. It's not going to be dead fish flopping around on the boat anymore. You're going to see 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost repent and say, brothers, what should we do? And when Peter said, repent and be baptized, 3,000 of them in one meeting are going to respond to God. Peter, that's going to be so much more awesome than catching dead fish on your boat. So following Jesus means he will empower us to evangelize people around us and win them to Christ. Now, Matthew became a follower of Jesus. He gets accepted full-time ministry with Jesus. What does Matthew do? The first thing he does, he throws a party and he invites all his friends, right? So I'm thinking about 21st century where you and I live today. And I want to say, what does it mean for you and me to throw a Matthew party? How could you and I throw a Matthew party if you, were, if you were trying to imitate what Matthew did as a follower of Jesus? What does that even look like today? Well, maybe you could have a dinner or barbecue and you can invite your neighborhood over. Hamburgers and hot dogs in, in my backyard and, and you guys are all invited to come over. Um, we did this at our church one time. We had a Sunday night soup and football game uh, because do you guys remember when sports were actually on TV live? Okay, I know it's only been a few days, but that's, maybe it's painful for some of you guys because all you're watching is like classic sports, uh, you know, Celtics versus Lakers, 1980, which is still worth watching. But it's not live sports anymore, right? So that's what, that's what you're going to see in all the sports channels. So, but the idea of if there's Sunday night football going on, to take advantage of that, invite your neighbors over and have soup or something real simple. Watch the, watch the football game and get to know your neighbors. Start a conversation with them. Uh, something Lisa and I did this last Christmas time is you take cookies and treats over to your neighbors. You wish them Merry Christmas. You have a Christmas card. Maybe have an invitation to our Christmas show. And you get to know your neighbors a little bit better that way. You reach out to them. This is something my brother Jeff and his wife have done for like 12 years now in Placentia. They live in Southern California. What I call a 4th of July block party. And it is the hokiest thing from an outsider looking in. Because it is nothing but neighbors getting together and having a little parade from one end of the cul-de-sac. I mean, you're talking about 50 yards this way, there's a cul-de-sac. And about 100 yards that way, the street goes down and ends in a cul-de-sac. And they start on one end of the street and they get bicycles together and they, they put red, white, and blue stuff on all the kids' bicycles. And they have little red wagons and they decorate the wagons. And they, they bring a, a portable music player 
uh, and they play, you know, you're a grand old flag, you're a high-flying flag, and they have this little 4th of July parade right there on their street. There's about 50 people involved, and it's like one of those can't-miss events in their neighborhood. They even got a police car to show up and be part of the parade last year. So you can do it. It's a way to reach out to your neighbors. Modern ways that you and I can throw a Matthew party. And, and by the way, here's a real-life something that we're going to be doing as our church this summer, August 23rd, I know it's been done in the past, but we're going to do it across the street at Ives Park, August 23rd. We're going to be out there. We're going to have an all-church service. We're going to turn the volume up as much as the city of Sebastopol will let us. And we're going to sing praise and worship songs to Jesus. And we're going to give people the good news. And then we're going to invite them to have a picnic with us that afternoon. So there's ways that it can be done. There's ways we can imitate what people like Matthew have done. I'm going to ask uh, Jenna and the worship team, you guys come up to do our closing song. And I just want to finish today uh, with a spiritual checkup question. We've done this the last couple weeks. This idea is check yourself spiritually and say, God, where am I right now? And if this is where I am, Lord, is this where you want me to be? And if you want me to be someplace else, what do I need to stop doing and what do I need to start doing to get to a place, Lord, where you want me to be? So here's this checkup question for you. How do you see people who seem, at least from your perspective, who seem far from God? How do you see them? How do you look at them? Right? Are, do you look at them as like, ooh, I don't want to get near you because you're going to defile me in some way. You're going to make me unclean. Or do you see them as people whom Jesus would go directly to, that he would reach out to, that he would say, I've got good news for you. There's freedom for the oppressed. There's spiritual sight for the blind. The, the poor are going to be set free. And, the, and everyone is going to have the good news preached to them. You know, that's what Jesus said when he announced his ministry. That's what he was doing with people that most of society would reject because they would be on the margins. What can you do to reach out among your friends, your family, your neighbors? And how can you invite Jesus into the conversation? Because that's what it means to follow him. Matthew learned that early on. He threw a Matthew party. He said, I want all my friends. I don't care what good society people think of them. I love my friends, and I want them to know Jesus. When I get to heaven, I don't want to be in heaven without them. And I hope you don't either. So what can you do? That's your spiritual checkup. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, today, as we're looking at the story of Jesus and a not-so-chance encounter with a tax collector, Jewish man, rejected by the rest of society. But Lord, you saw something hopeful and good and curious and potential in Matthew that he could be a world changer if he would turn around and follow you. And so you called him into relationship with you. You called him into full-time ministry with you. And Lord, we see that the world is so different. And being able to read the Gospel of Matthew and to see how Jesus is the King of the Jews over and over and over in that wonderful story of the life and ministry of you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for what you did in Matthew's life. Lord, we pray that you'd look at our hearts today. Show us how we sometimes tend to exclude people and turn away from people that you want us to go toward to reach out to instead.
Lord, show us. Lord, and if our hearts need to be changed, God, do your, do your surgery right now in our souls. Help us to see people the way you see them. Help us to reach out toward them in acceptance and inclusion and in love. Let them be open to us when we do. Let them be open to sh our sharing the good news of what you've done in our lives so they too can be part of your forever family. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. Lord, make us more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.